Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I'm with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, my brother? It's going well. How you, how you doing? Ah, doing well as well. Thanks for asking, brother. And uh, also, pleased to announce we have another uh, special guest, Joe Pre... I want to say this right. Petrowski. Petrowski. Okay, got it. Got it. Thanks for jumping on. How's it going for you? Very, very good. Yeah, beautiful day down here in Florida. Love it. How are you? Nice. Man, doing good. It's, it's beautiful out here, too. I think it's uh, like 70, 75 degrees. Oh, wow. It's a little breeze. It's, uh, I was, on a previous podcast, I said, I said this is a uh, big guy weather. You can come outside and not sweat all day. <laughs> uh, a little bit different than your trip down to South Beach a couple of weeks ago, huh? <laughs> no, it was very hot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Literally yeah. walk outside, bees of sweat coming down my face. Oh, yeah. Literally. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, man. What do you do professionally and uh, you know, how many kids you got and what are their ages? I'm a master energy healer and a life coach or life, I like to say teacher rather than coach. And I have two daughters. Uh, my youngest is 21. She lives with me currently. And I have an other daughter that's 25 and she lives up in Minnesota. Oh, that's cool. Can you talk about um, uh, energy healing? What is, what is that? What is- sure. Well, actually in 1999, I was sent home to die. Um, I had a very unusual illness. And when the Mayo Clinic saw my um, all the tests and everything, they just told my doctor at the time to wish him well in his impending death. <laughs> uh, they, everybody knew that my, the illness was killing me. And I met this 35th generation Shaolin master and I went to him and his students. And after the second hour session, um, I was off the oxygen. And after the third, I was completely well. And so I studied with him uh, for three and a half years solid, another two years on and off. And then I sat with Native Americans and they all taught me to be able to see and feel energy and people, animals, trees. And so I can look at you. Um, I can see the absolute best things about you. I can see the blocks that you have in your life. Um, and then as I pay attention to you, we can shift things. So I can help people eliminate really, really serious pains and illnesses, um, usually in an hour or two. Sometimes it'll take longer. And then the coaching is to help people eliminate those subconscious blocks. And so it's pretty cool. That's awesome. It sounds sound like it is. So, um... How long did it take for you to, to learn this? Um, it, I, I started in 2001, right after I got better. And within a couple of months, I was actually uh, doing it quite, quite well. Um, and within um, about six or seven months, my teacher allowed me to be an assistant instructor, which usually would take three and a half years uh, to achieve. And so I, once I got out of my way, I saw that I could do this stuff quite well. Um, and um, it was kind of frightening at first because I grew up, you know, vanilla as can be. I had no clue of this. And then all of a sudden I'm able to help people literally that the surgeons couldn't help um, and that great doctors couldn't help. And so um, it was, and it's been incredible. It's been completely life-changing. And uh, um, in my literature, you often see, you know, my arms up like this. And that's because my oldest daughter, she didn't know me healthy until she was five and a half. Her whole life, I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And um, they knew that I was going to be dying. And she knew that. 
And when I uh, started to get better, when I would go into the library or Target and I didn't need to use the oxygen, she would throw her arms up, daddy, daddy, no oxygen. And uh, so that's what that's about. And it's also my belief that if we can't every so often just throw our arms up in the air saying, you know, this is great. I think we're doing it wrong. I think God wants us to be able to live life happy and to be able to see the joy in life and to be able to, you know, just rejoice sometimes, just to be, you know, uh, instead of being in the doldrums, you know, and instead of just plugging nine to five, working, going to sleep, you know, watching TV, um, I think we're supposed to live, you know. Yeah, kind of talk about um, when you went when you went to that that doctor and he told you that you only had a certain amount of time to live. Like, what kind of flashed to your mind at that point? Like, so you had you had two daughters at the time and they were they were both young. Well, it's interesting because my second daughter, we call the bonus daughter, because uh, I only had one child at the time. And when they, when the first doctor told me, I thought, well, this guy, you know, really has always been the cynical one. Um, I worked with a number of doctors. At the, and at the end, I was working with two doctors um, that had, that were very, very good. One had studied a lot in Europe and was um, allopathic as well as homeopathic and naturopathic. And then the other had taught at the University of Minnesota and was completely medical. And so when the medical doctor, you know, told me, that, you know, I had less than a year to live, um, it shocked the hell out of me. Um, and I was very, you know, disconcerted. I mean, it was, it was, you know, but I knew he was negative, you know, I knew that his outlook was not great. So I went to the other guy that was a regular MD, uh, homeopathic, naturopathic. And when he told me, he says, hey, Joe, he said, we only have, he said the exact same thing as the other doctor, but they didn't talk to each other. Um, uh, he says, Hey, he says, we have one more treatment, but if it doesn't work, it's going to kill you. So we can't try it. <laughs> um, and so when that happened, I mean, it was literally deer in headlights. Um, and, you know, and I did think about the fact that my daughter, but it was, you know, even more selfish. It was like, Hey, you know, um, uh, I'm in my thirties. I, I don't want to die. Um, and I was just frightened because I was just like, I wasn't ready to die. Um, and um, I kept on trying um, all kinds of different alternative treatments. And, you know, they made me better in little ways, but then I would, my body would, what was happening is, is my body would take anything that was good and it would see it as a, uh, a bad thing and it would attack it. And so my body was in hyperdrive and it was attacking everything that was good. And so it, um, one of the doctors, when I went to the uh, social security hearing, as for a brief time, I was on social security disability. When I went there, uh, the psychologist showed up and the judge said, you don't have to be here. So you must have something really important to say. So I'll let you go first. So the psychologist that had interviewed me for eight hours, gave me the MMPI and gave me all these other tests. He said, your honor, he says, I'm very, very concerned about Mr. Petrosky. He has this absolutely, completely unrealistic belief that he's going to live. <laughs> and then, uh, then he looks at me and he says, Mr. Podraski, he says, I am sorry. He says, you are going to die. He says, we have nearly an inch and a half worth of evidence here of all of these tests that are proving your body's killing, killing, killing yourself. You, you are going to die. It's going to be relatively quick. You need to go home and get your affairs in order because you won't last through the year. And when that happened, I mean, you know, it's literally, it's kind of like when you're in school and you're being bullied. And you know, you know, you're not the pussy, you know, or, you know, the weakling that they're calling you, you know, um, you know that, but 
nobody else believes it. <laughs> you know, everybody's believing the bully. Um, and so I walked out of there just dumbfounded. And, um, but I refused to give up. And um, I just put my, you know, literally what ended up happening is I went home and I screamed and yelled at God. I told him what he could do with himself, you know, um, and I said, you know, you've never been there for me because I grew up with extreme abuse in the house. Um, and, um, uh, and at school, I went to Catholic school. I was beat uh, till I peed my pants. I was locked in closets, you know, by the nuns. And so I grew up with a really horrible life, you know, and I was like, you know, God, you've never been there for me. So screw off. And I thought I really was telling the, you know, you know, flip off. But uh, I look at it now and I kind of see that as my own prayer of Job, where it was like, hey, I've done everything. I don't know what the hell you want me to do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and but when I went and these people worked with me, um, I could feel the physical difference. I mean, I was emaciated. Um, I was so skinny. You could see the cartilage in my nose. You could see the difference between the bones and the cartilage in my ribs. And so I was weak as could be, but after the first session, I felt so strong. I was just like, this is wild. This is crazy. And after the second session, um, I could be places and breathe without the oxygen. Because what would happen is when I would be exposed to everyday chemicals, cleaners, laundry detergent, car exhaust, fertilizer, um, you know, if the neighbor was, uh, their dryer was blown out, um, you know, bounce or surf or tide or any of that, I would lose my ability to see. So I, because of your backgrounds and everything like that, I wouldn't be able to tell you that you were people. Um, even though I've looked at this picture, you know, a thousand times, I wouldn't be able to tell you that there was dolphins and sea creatures there. Um, uh, I might be able to tell you that there's, you know, uh, you know, white on the screen or black in the corners, you know, I might be able to tell you that, but, uh -huh. you know, and so it was a really scary illness. And then what happened is my ex-wife, uh, she came to me three days after this, you know, and she says, hey, she goes, you've always only wanted to have one child and I wanted to have two. Would you give me another before you go? <laughs> and, you know, and I was just like, you know, and I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to be here to help you. And you're already mad and angry at me because, you know, um, I can't work and I'm just sitting around the house sucking on oxygen. You know, so you got to write something that says that you're going to be okay with me not being able to help you raise this kid. And, uh, um, and so we went for genetic counseling to the medical doctor and he looked at me, he says, really, are you serious? And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be here anyways. And, uh, but he knew that we hadn't had, you know, intimate relations for a while because my ex-wife wasn't supporting me when I was sick. Um, she, had, I found out during the divorce that she actually did things that poisoned me to make me sicker. Oh, wow. uh, but I didn't know that at the time. But so luckily for everybody, my uh, ex-wife was fertile myrtle. You just looked at her and she'd get pregnant. And uh, so we did that. And that's where my bonus daughter came from. And so nobody expected me to be alive when she was born. Um, and when she was born, I was still sick. Her mother left four months after she was born, uh, eight months after she was born. And um, uh, eight months after my ex-wife left, I miraculously uh, got healed and um, I've been perfectly healthy ever since, you know? And, uh, and it was interesting, you know, you talk about the daughters, um, 
you know, um, I raised the girls and for a long time, all I could do is, you know, when I was sick, I couldn't read anymore because I couldn't see. And um, I was reading Spot the Big Yellow Dog uh, one time to my daughter. And, uh, um, you know, I had read it like a hundred times for her because it was her favorite book. Uh, you know how the little kids can be. And um, I was reading it and I was just like, okay. And I thought I knew the order of the pages and I said what was um, the next thing. And she goes, oh. she goes, dad, that's not what it said. And then she looked at my face and I didn't know she knew this. And I didn't, I didn't know that she knew, you know, that I couldn't see. But my little girl, you know, that was uh, like four years old, but, you know, um, actually, I'd have, she was probably older than that even. But then um, uh, she, so she goes, oh, daddy, she goes, you can't see again. And I didn't even know she didn't know that um, and or that she knew that. And she goes, just tell us a story. And so from then on, uh, what would happen is, is my daughters would ask me, you know, tell me a story. Tell me a story when you're a little kid. And so I would think about, you know, the different things, you know, about going sledding, you know, uh, going ice fishing, playing hockey, um, you know, uh, you know, whatever I could think of, I would um, tell the stories instead of being able to read. And, um, and it was very interesting because, you know, I figured that, um, you know, their mom can take them anywhere and do everything. And um, so I was figure, figuring, you know, who am I and what am I really offering? You know, my poor girls, you know, they're not getting anything from me. But it was interesting when we, when we went through the divorce, um, the county came in and they were using the illness to take my daughters away from me. And um, so I had to go for psychological evaluation. My ex-wife had to go for psychological evaluation. And as a result of what they did is they had um, my daughters draw pictures. And so my oldest daughter would draw the pictures and they'd say, okay, now, you know, uh, draw a picture of your dad's house. And so she would draw a picture of me, you know, and I was big and tall and stuff. And, you know, and it'd be just her sister and uh, me and her. Uh -huh. Okay, now, now draw pictures of your, you know, when you're at your mom's house. Well, when we, uh, they were at their mom's house, um, the girls were tall, the mother was small, and I was tall off to the side. And they're like, you know, um, uh, so the psychologist thought that I had coached my kids. I didn't even know they were in the pictures, you know. And so the psychologist, you know, said, you know, how come you drew your dad, you know, at your mom's house? Oh, if we need anything, we know that we can call my dad. We know that, my, you know, my dad will be there. And if we need anything, my dad will answer the phone. He'll help us out. And sometimes, you know, when mom can't pick us up from school, dad will pick us up from school. And so dad's always with us, even though he's not with us. <laughs> you know. And uh, so I'm sitting there thinking I can't offer crap to my girls. Um, but just being there and giving them the time was really important. And, um, you know, and to this day, it's something that, um, you know, my girls, they, um, uh, I was on a date one time a number of years ago, back in 2003, two, three or four, and it was the first time that I ever was um, called away from a date, and um, uh, their cat was dying, and I thought, well, it's interesting, they want me to come, and I went over there, and I, I figured, you know, their mom's at work, their mom's gone, well, their mom was there too. And I'm just like, how come you guys called me since your mom is here? Mom doesn't know how to listen. 
<laughs> Mom doesn't know how to listen. She just wants to tell us that, it, you know, and we know that you'll just hold us. We'll know that you, you'll just hold us and you'll just listen to us if we want to talk or if we want to cry. You're not going to try and make us feel different. And uh, well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and uh, so it's been interesting. It's been interesting being, because um, for, you know, ever since my daughter was eight months old, um, we've had the split parenting. And uh, it's been very interesting. Uh, it seemed like you, you lived uh, where you're living, like a really uh, interesting life with a lot of like different, like <laughs> extreme, like changes so quick, you know. How did your outlook on life and on like death change from before like the illness to after? Um, well, when the illness came, um, there was nothing more that I want that I wanted than to live. Um, and, you know, and one of the things that the doctors had said, all three of these doctors that I mentioned, every single one of them said, Joe, it's probably going to get so painful and so uncomfortable that you're going to kill yourself. Um, that's what happens to most people that have this illness is that they will kill themselves before they actually die. And you have to come to, you have to come to peace with that. <laughs> like what, <laughs> how the hell do you come to peace? You know, with the fact that your life is going to be so bad, you're going to kill yourself. But, uh, it did get that bad. Um, and luckily there was a, friend that I made a pact with and she says hey Joe if it ever gets that bad you know promise me that you'll call me and she goes I won't try and talk you out of it she goes I just want to be able to know what um your life I just want to be able to know what's going on so I can tell your daughters and uh, um so I promised her that I would call her and so I called her up and I says hey I says I have the you know the hose by the dog run and I have the knife and so I said when I'm done you know, just make sure somebody sprays down the dog run, you know, so the blood is gone before the girls get home, you know, uh, so, um, and I had the phone, and I was ready to call, you know, the police and say, hey, there's a body on the side of my garage, <laughs> like, you know, what's it look like? Well, I'm this tall, <laughs> you know, I was, ready to, I was ready to do that, and luckily, she read, uh, she says, I just want to read, you know, uh, eight lines out of this, actually, 13 lines out of this book, and so she did, and she described my illness to a T. And that was the first time that I realized um, that a lot of the things that were happening to me were because the blood was getting cut off to a certain part of my brain. Because what had happened is, is I would become really, really uh, uh, angry and argumentative. Um, and what would happen is, is for me not to act like that, I would have to keep my mouth completely shut and I would have to, um, I would sit on my hands and I'd grip my teeth so everybody would know, don't talk to me. Because if you talk to me, I would sound uh, like Archie Bunker and Mr. Jefferson on steroids. Um, I would just be, you know, it would be a horrible experience. And so I thought it was because of everything that everybody beat into me, um, that I was not good enough, that it was defective, that there was something wrong with me. Because that was what was beat into me the whole time, you know. And when we look back at it, I probably did have ADHD, you know, stuff like that. Who knows? Um, but um, so I thought I was mentally defective. You know, um, and uh, when she read that out of the book, um, I called up one of the doctors uh, and I says, hey, man, I says, I got to see you. 
And he says, Joe, there's nothing I can do. I says, I just got, I have to see you. I have to see you. So, so he had, he let me go in the next morning before everybody else got there. Uh, cause, um, if anybody else was there, I wouldn't be able to see, and I wouldn't be able to drive myself home, <laughs> you know? Sure. Uh, so, um, I was able to suck on the oxygen, uh, with the vent in the car closed. I got there and I gave him the book. I says, is this me? And, uh, he read it. He says, well, yeah, we knew that all along. I says, you guys never told me that. He says, what do you mean? He says, you guys never told me that. And so there was a simple test that they could have done to reveal that. And he called up the other doctor and nobody had ever done that. So I thought it was crazy. Um, and it was actually the illness that was making me be like that, which made it better. And so it was a crazy time. But, you know, when I look at it, you know, I definitely, you know, people say you only live once and it's like, yeah, no shit, you know, and do something about it. Seriously. Um, you know, yes, we have to make money to pay the bills. Um, but I tell people, it's like, when you pick up your kids from school or a friend's house or their grandparents or an overnighter or whatever the heck it is, for the first 15 minutes, turn off your phone. Just turn it off, you know, uh, to be able to give your, your kids that undivided attention. Um, because that first five to 10 minutes is the most crucial you know, it's like they have that whole bit they want to share, you know, whether it was a troublesome thing or whether it was a fantastic thing. And if you're sitting there and you get a text notification or the phone is ringing, you know, it, you know, the kids know because I work from home and it's just like, well, the phone's ringing, dad's go to work. So I would turn the phone off to be able to com be completely with them. And that made such a difference when I decided to do that. And, um, and I look at it and, um, you know, the kids, um, we have to be loving, we have to be caring, we have to be compassionate, you know, and I've screwed up, you know, when I was, uh, when the girls were young, um, I would let them put me in a timeout. Um, if I yelled too much, you know, because I would, I, I wish I could start all over and be a parent now, instead of when I was when I was younger, because there's so much that I've learned now. Um, you know, but the definition of parenting is to fuck your kids up enough to guarantee that they're going to need to see counseling. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, I mean, to me, that's what, that's what parenting is. We're going to make mistakes. And, um, but, uh, back then I would let the girls do it. And there would be times where like, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> like this one daddy was really mad, but <laughs> you deserved it. You know? Um, and, uh, cause one time we went shopping and my daughter hid on purpose, uh, in the clothing rack and we couldn't find her. They, oh, yeah. they locked the whole mall down and everything like that. They locked all the doors. They did all that kind of stuff. And she comes up <laughs> and I looked at her <laughs> And, you know, and my daughter, my other daughter saw me and she goes, and she knew that, you know, her sister was, and she goes, and she goes, Sarah, daddy's really mad. Don't say anything. <laughs> I just looked at her and I said, and I says, you start walking. We're going to the car. <laughs> and then, because my youngest daughter, she always wanted to sing. She always wanted to tell stories, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And I'm just like, and I said, sweetie, you made a huge, huge, huge mistake. We were so scared. Did you see all those guys in blue? All of those guys. I said, there was 35 of them that were looking for you. I said, that's not okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, parenting can be crazy. I see goes wrong. <laughs> what's that i said when hide and seek goes terribly wrong oh god yeah, yeah no kidding she won <laughs> you know I, I remember doing that um yeah i did that too 
like going to venture or something or going to uh, the mall when they used to have those big circular racks. Oh yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Going into the middle of the, <laughs> yeah. the rack. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it was. That's exactly where she was. <laughs> yeah, so. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you get connected with the uh, the Shaolin Master? Um, it was interesting. I was in a support group for people with chronic illness. Um, and um, what ended up happening is, is one of the women from that group, she says, Joe, she goes, uh, there's this guy in town and he's working on some of her friends and it's amazing. And she talked about two of the people that had really, really severe pain where they reported that their pain was, you know, uh, one that it was completely gone and the other one, it was so much less. Um, and I knew one of the women would never cut anybody any slack, you know, because she was as negative and, you know, as possible. And uh, she said, you know, you got to go see him. And so she talked about it. And the last day was Monday. And I said, well, I said, I can't go because I'm going to have my girls. And you know that, you know, they're trying to take the kids away from me. Uh, My ex-wife was doing everything that she could to use the illness against me. And I says, I can't not be there for the girls. So I, I can't go. And so she goes, uh, she goes, okay. She goes, I understand. And I said, you know, the only day that I could go was, you know, Thursday or Friday. So she called me up Monday night at 1030 at night. um, And she says, Joe, they added a Thursday. (laughs) And so I sat up in bed and like, okay, okay, I'm going. And so I had a friend of mine drive me. um, Because like I say, if I went out with that, um, I wouldn't be able to see after a certain amount of time. And um, I needed to be helped with that. And so I sat there and I listened to this guy talk to a room of 150 people. And he was definitely, he was working on people that I knew because this place that I went to um, helped a lot of people with, you know, really serious illnesses. And um, I went up at the end of the presentation to the stage and he was still talking to people and working on people. And, um, uh, and I went up and there was this pain that I would get on the back of the shoulder. And it was like somebody stabbed me in there. And that let me know that I wasn't going to be able to see soon. And I was also going to uh, be overcome, you know, with this anger and irritability. And it would usually take about three days for that pain to go away. And so I talked to him and um, I said, hey, I got this really crazy illness. Um, Nobody knows what to do. And he started, he said, well, the pain in your shoulder is because of this. And I was like, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even tell him yet, you know, Um, he knew that I had a pain in my shoulder and he made it go away in a matter of minutes. And I looked at him like, you know, I was like, oh my God. And he says, well, you can do this too. And I looked at him and I'm like, I'm the one that's dying, (laughs) you know? And, uh, um, but, you know, he never said a word and he just looked with his eyes. It's like, you know, saying with his eyes, yes, you can. And so I, um, I knew that if I went to the class, uh, the workshop, that I would get worked on by the people. And so I went, um, I went to the workshop and um, he, over the three and a half years, he singled me out numerous times and Shaolin's do a couple of different things. Bruce Lee was a Shaolin. In fact, he and Bruce Lee were, um, uh, you know, friendly um, towards the end. What ended up happening is, um, the you know my teacher uh stole the kung fu the tv show my teacher stole that from bruce lee (laughs) so when uh my teacher made uh uh, david carradine's character authentic uh 
and um, because he had, they had lived that life. Uh, Bruce didn't Bruce didn't do the monastery stuff until later in his teen years. My teacher was dropped off when he was three and a half years old. But um, so, anyways, um, uh, there's a couple things that they don't do. They never, ever, ever point. Never. They will not point at somebody, um, and they'll never have their back to a door. And my teacher would regularly point at me, and he would put his back to a door sometimes when he was trying to make an, um, an explanation because he saw in me that I had this gift. And I and I told you about the abuse. Um, you know, I was beat severely for a long time. My and my dad after he gave up, you know, beating us with boards on our ass. Um, he started to pound um, uh, on our chest and on my chest in particularly often. And he pounded so much that I actually have a calcium deposit on my chest. And um, so I, I believed that, you know, I was a piece of crap. I believed that it was never going to amount to anything. And when all of a sudden I started to be able to have these gifts and talents, um, you know, that God gave me, um, it was really hard for me to even believe it. And so they rode me really, really hard, really, really well, and taught me a, a ton. And um, like I said, I became one of his assistant teachers and I help people learn how to do this. I teach people how to do healing now. Um, and um, I love it. Um, and the biggest, you know, I'm so thankful because, you know, like I said, I, I grew up with all this horrible stuff about me. But the gift that God gave me is that I can look at all of you. Um, I can go into a whole room, and I have. You know, I've gone into the detention centers. I used to volunteer at the juvenile detention center. And I'd go in, and I would tell every single one of those kids what the best thing about them was. And they would be shocked to crap because, um, you know, very often when I would be in the juvenile detention center, um, very often they would say, you're the first person that has ever said anything nice about me, right. you know. And uh, so I can look at everybody and I can see the best thing about you. I can see your talents. I can see how you learn, you know, um, and I can also, if you ask me, I can see the negative things. I can see everything that blocks you and to be able to go to people and instead of shaming them and blaming them to be able to go and help them overcome that. Um, that's fantastic. I mean, uh, I, I didn't enjoy the path to get here, but I like the results. <laughs> You know, uh, if I would have known this when I was locked in the closets and everything like that, might have made a little bit better at the time. <laughs> you know, so that's awesome, yeah. Because uh, you know, you're you're a walking testimony. Like uh, anybody that's listening to this, that that's dealing with something like like a sickness or an illness, like he, uh, Joe is a is a walking living testament that you can get out of it. So mm -hmm. take solace in that. Yeah, I tell people, you know, like I said, never give up. I mean, the Mayo Clinic, they didn't even want to see me because they knew that I was going to be dead. They, they didn't even want to bother. Um, the university, basically, they had gave some suggestions. But um, over the time period, I had worked with nine different doctors, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Texas, Florida, and New York. Mm -hmm. and, and all of them knew that because of what was going on in my body, lights out. All of them knew, you know, and I just 
I've refused. And it was interesting because when I went back, you know, one of my doctors, he says, Hey, he says, can I draw your blood? I want to see what the hell happened. He says, I want to see if you're just like imagining this, you know, or if there's been changes. I says, I says, I'd love it. And so he drew, you know, four vials of blood, ran everything and he held up the pages, you know, of when I was ill and afterwards in the, the, it was amazing. The difference, absolute amazing, the difference. And so um, the illness was real and you can overcome real stuff. And when people come to me and they're hopeless causes, I've tried everything. It's like, well, you haven't tried everything, <laughs> you know? Um, and, I, and I don't say that I'm the, you know, the end all and be all. I'm just one of many, many, many. There's incredible healers out there of all kinds of different disciplines. But don't give up. Don't give up. Um, if you have a burning, if you have a real belief, you know, it's really possible that you can't overcome, but it's also really important to know that healing, healing doesn't necessarily mean victory over illness. Healing is healing your heart, healing your emotions, and really learning the lessons that you were sent here to learn, you know, and, um, cause I've worked with fantastic people. One of them was this lady named Robin and, uh, she had this really unusual illness. They wanted to call it ALS, but it, it wasn't. <laughs> um, but they, you know, that was the closest thing to it. And what happened is, is uh, when I was working with her a number of times, one of the times she had to tell her husband, it's like, hey, you either shut up and go away, or if you're going to be here, you need to support me and you need to love me. I will no longer allow you to discount me. I will no longer allow you to marginalize me. I am worthy and I am awesome just because I'm here. If you can't accept that, you can leave and you can leave now. If you stay, you have to treat me differently. And I looked and it was just, and I still feel it because uh, there was two of my, um, uh, two of the people that I was teaching this to, they were with me too. And they all felt it. And I was like, holy shit. And I says, yeah, we're done. We're done. And um, that's what she needed to do is be able to say that she was worth it. And that was her healing. And three days, three days later, she passed, you know, so, but it was, yeah. so, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's <laughs> like, I found this, this, um, type of stuff, like, so fascinating, like, um, like the mind over matter type mm -hmm. stuff, and just, um, how you were saying, like healing, not necessarily like healing an illness or a sickness or something, but just learning a lesson. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, it's, it's two things that I want to ask you about. Mm -hmm. So a couple of years ago, I was reading this book called The Holographic Universe. Okay. And they talked about this guy uh, named Sai Baba. Who would, are you familiar with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he would, um, he would like do like these different miracles. Mm -hmm. And, stuff. and um one of them is like he made um, he made a diamond in his hand, like he oh sure, mm -hmm. or yeah. like a diamond or some some type of jewel in his hand, like gave it to somebody. And yeah. then it was another one where he like created cake, where he made cake fall out of <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah, he, he made cake fall out of his hand and like fed some kids. So just like stuff like that, like interests me. Um, yeah, so I want to ask you about like the uh the um the rainbow body the rainbow body okay yeah um 
I know that's uh, are, well, are you familiar with Rainbow Body? Like, I have uh, an idea of what you're talking about, but I want you to continue to talk about it and make sure that we're thinking about the same thing. Well, it's, it's like when someone, well, like the, the monks or whatever, when they chose to die, they would go into like this meditation and mm-hmm. then their, their body yeah. would shrink and then mm-hmm. shrink until it, it disappears. So I guess that process is like the, the rainbow body. There's all kinds of, this is one of the things when I said I'm not the end all be all, there's hundreds of thousands of incredible healers throughout the world. And it's so unfortunate, you know, that the news agencies don't talk about this kind of stuff. Because yeah. uh, one of the ones that you're talking about, there was a guy that uh, was on TV in Canada um, and he was a, um, a Chinese uh, healer and he took uh, one of the most stable nuclear elements um, in the world. Um, and it had like a 75,000 year half-life. And so you can measure this by, you know, with that, I can't remember the machine that, you know, tests the radioactivity, the levels of it. And so he took this uh, compound and right there while everybody's watching it and everything like that, he just thought about it and felt about it, thought about it and felt it. And he decreased the half-life by one half. So it was like 30,000 years, you know, because of the amount of radiation that was coming out. He says, well, I can do more than that. And so he did it in half again. He said, well, I can do more. And so within a half an hour, he made it completely, totally inert. You know, Mm. there's um, a group in China that um, there's five of them that will sit there and work upon you. And there was, they show, and literally there's a tumor that's this big inside this guy's belly because the man looks like he's pregnant, um, but only pregnant on the left side of his body. And, uh, and so these five monks, you know, sit there and they pray and they chant and they do different things. And as it's on film, you know, I I think I've seen that before. Yeah. It it shrinks. Right. Yeah. There's a fabulous, uh, healer in New Jersey, uh, Dr. Joseph Pierce Farrell. And this guy works with a lot of things like cleft palate and, you know, noses that, you know, are weird and stuff like that from birth. And um, he'll work with people in their 20s and 30s and sometimes, you know, the kids, but they show it, you know, on time elapsed photography. And you see this person's messed up nose, you know, and with the, you know, the part, you know, missing. Mm-hmm. And he works on it to the point where it's a regular nose and this is solid. Um, there's a girl in Romania. She's probably, um, she's not much younger than me. So, um, but, uh, back in the eighties or the nineties, um, she would, everybody that came into the room was given a rose bud. And so they had a stem with a bud on it. And what would happen is this girl would come in and, uh, ask everybody to be silent. She would close her eyes and she would say, just look at your bloom. And every single rose, um, over a hundred roses, bloom went from a uh, you know mud to an absolute bloom as this girl thought about it and so you know and uh the shaolin there's tons of stories you know um they can actually run through the brick wall you know they don't just break bricks um uh, my teacher could jump 10 feet high a vertical jump 10 feet high you know um and so those kinds of things um the, the we literally have enough energy in our bodies to light up new york city for three days that's what's the you know chemically possible in our bodies and so if we harness it the right way the things that we can do are amazing utterly amazing and you know we just have to get um 
you know, I just say God, universe, source, because lots of people, if I say God, they get upset that it's not Allah or whatever. It's like, okay, it's all of them, you know? Um, and um, uh, if we get in connection with that, if we feel that and we allow that energy, amazing things can happen. When I started to do this work, um, it freaked me out because of what I was able to do. And so I went to my minister and I says, Hey man, I'm having some problems with this. I'm just, you know, I'm really unsettled is, you know, driving me crazy. I'm freaking out. I don't know what's going on, you know? And, um, he says, well, come in, we'll talk tomorrow. So I went in and he gives me the Bible and he says, Hey, he says, can you read something out of this? He says, read this. And, and then we'll talk about what you want to talk about. I, I got something on my mind. And I was like, well, this is interesting. He's trying to help me and I got to help him first. Really? <laughs> so he gives me the Bible and it was John 14, 12. And in there, he says, um, you know, Jesus said, it's like, if you believe like me, you can do these things and greater than these things you shall do. And I look and he's, you know, got his arms like that and his feet up on the desk. He says, you want to talk about anything else? <laughs> and, and I look at it and what I think in there, what Jesus was literally saying is the way I think no judgment and just simple love. I mean, because that's literally what Jesus really did. All this other crap, you know, that uh, a lot of the, you know, fire and brimstone that people want to say, those words never came out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus had simple love and acceptance uh, and no judgment. And um, so if we go into that and then we open our minds to what's possible, um, it's, it's awesome what can happen. You know, it, it's amazing. Yeah. So, um, Talked a little bit about your daughter. So uh, after you come well, you still have two young girls to raise. Mm -hmm. So walk us through that that journey from uh, you know after you came healed to you know raising them up and and making them become clear who they are today. Well, uh, you know it was really interesting because uh, um, what ended up happening is I like I said I became healthy after their mother left. And, um, my in-laws were not very nice people and, um, the, and they were all women. Um, and my daughter's aunts and their mother would sit there and argue with my oldest daughter, who is five years old, five and a half years old and say horrible things about me and, um, and make my daughter have to defend me. And so I talked to my daughter and her grandma was in on it too. And I says, sweetie, I says, no, 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 no. You can never, ever defend me. I says, you don't have permission to defend me. If they want to call me bad, horrible names, I says, let them call me bad, horrible names. I says, I says, you, what do you think of me? Do you believe this? And she started crying. She goes, no, she goes, you're none of those things. You're honest. You're, you know, and you're loving and you care about us and you'll take, and I says, okay, sweetie. I says, so you don't need to defend me. I says, don't. I says, I don't give you permission to stand up for me. I says, laugh about it. I says, if you want to join them and call me, you know, names, pretend that it's Rudolph and you're playing the reindeer games and, you know, call me names. And so she did, you know, and uh, uh, big hairy cheese pickle was one of the, <laughs> you know, was one of the, um, you know, so there was that. And then, you know, when we went through, because the girls were so young, what ended up happening is, is we, um, first it was something where they were with us because my youngest daughter was literally only, um, you know, eight months old. Um, it was like three, two or three days with one parent, two or three days with the other parent. And then as they got older, we made it to four and five, and then it was six and seven and different things and, uh, that, and, you know, um, and it was, 
it was hard. It was really, really hard on the girls um, going back and forth. And, um, uh, you know, and so what ended up happening is, is um, I saw the anxiety that it was causing the girls. And so I went to the psychologist and I says, Hey, I says, what do I do? What do I do? I says, this is getting worse. And like I say, the mother and, you know, their side of the family, you know, didn't help things out. And so what I did is um, I actually allowed my ex-wife to have more custody. Um, so they would be, but I talked to my oldest daughter every single day, sometimes three times a day. Um, I never miss a time to see the girls. Um, and, um, and, you know, it was difficult, but what ended up happening is I also, um, uh, I moved down here to Florida um, um, when my youngest was eight years old and my oldest was 13. Um, and, but I knew fully, completely, totally in my head that the girls were going to move down with me, um, in two years. Um, I knew that that was going to happen. Um, so that first year though, like I said, I didn't miss any visitations. Um, and it cost me $15,000 that year to travel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, cause I wasn't going to miss any time with the girls. Um, and, um, you know, and as it was, you know, the visitation, you know, got less and less, you know, over that period. Um, and it got to the point where they would come down for, you know, um, Easter or Christmas, um, summer vacation. Um, and I would go back, you know, up to see them. And, and I always made sure that I saw them at least one week a month. Um, and even though they would be at their mom's house, a lot of times, sometimes they would stay with me at the hotel, you know? Um, but I went up there to let them know that I was still here. Um, and then what ended up happening is, is, um, my oldest daughter, was attacked at school by a girl that um, uh, shouldn't have been in school. Um, she had social, she had a lot of problems. Um, everybody in her family was a drug addict. And this girl had uh, real severe issues. And she outweighed my daughter by 65 pounds. And one day um, in the cafeteria, this girl just had a snap and uh, her friends pushed her into my daughter. And um, this, my daughter never saw it coming. And my daughter was beat from the back, from behind until she was on the floor and this girl was pounding on her. And um, the girl ended up tearing four muscles in my daughter's back. Um, my daughter was a gymnast and after that she never could do gymnastics again. And, um, and she had to go to the hospital and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I'll tell you, that's a phone call you never want to hear because uh, I was friends with the vice principal and, hey, Steve, how's it going? Well, one day I get a phone call. Hello, Mr. Petrosky. Well, hey there, Steve. How's it going? Mr. Petrosky, this is Mr. Steven. And I won't say the last name for him, but this is Mr. Steven. And he tells me his last name. And I'm like, yeah. I says, what? I, I know you. Yeah. I'm like, I says, what's up? What's going on? And he says, I hate to tell you this. And I'm, you know, and uh, your daughter's been, uh, she was attacked and um, she was taken to the emergency room. And, uh, um, you know, and, and you, something that was interesting is I was flying back and forth so much to Minnesota. I knew the flight schedule and I knew that I could get to the airport and I could get that last flight out and I would be home in seven hours and 45 minutes um, because of the connecting flights. I knew that. And I went to pack my bag and I just threw stuff in it and I go and I couldn't even grab the doorknob. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, I couldn't even grab the doorknob. And it's like, you know, and 
I couldn't go. I couldn't go. And I'm like, what the hell, <laughs> you know? And um, I call up my best friend who's also an energy healer. She goes, yeah. She goes, Joe, for some reason, you're not supposed to go. So at whatever the time it was, the plane had taken off. And uh, um, two minutes after the plane took off, my daughter called me. We were on the phone for seven hours and 45 minutes. So if I would have followed my ego and gotten on the plane, I wouldn't have been able to be there when my daughter really needed me. And so I listened to what was coming and not to go. And I thought it was crazy. What do you mean don't go? But literally my daughter and I were on the phone for seven hours and 45 minutes. And um, at her mom's house, she had to change the phone out uh, three times um, because she had to go from one phone to the next phone because the charge was dying. But she's at some time, she said, dad, just breathe or every so often hit the phone. I don't need you to talk right now, but I just need to know that you're there. And so I would do that. I would just, you know, breathe sometimes or I would talk and then she would let loose some tears or she would say something, uh, you know, she would tell me to, you know, talk to her mom and, you know, because her mom was, you know, just uh, black and white and crap. And so what ended up happening is, as a result, my daughter had um, uh, post-traumatic stress and we didn't know at the time, because if you take the signs of post-traumatic stress and you take the signs of a disrespectful teenager, they're the exact same thing, same thing, yeah. you know? And I had asked some of the, you know, therapists and it's like, oh, you're down in Florida. It's like, you know, your, da that, your daughter's a favorite and, you know, and, and, um, but what ended up happening is, is we treated my daughter, you know, with, as if she was defiant, which was the wrong diagnosis. And so it caused a lot of problems. And, uh, um, and so my daughter did end up having some issues, um, but her mom's boyfriend is an alcoholic and a jackass. Um, and one day, um, he gets in an argument with my daughter and causes bruises on my daughter. And I, in December, I say, sweetie, I says, go to school tomorrow with a short sleeve shirt. I says, I don't care how cold it is. Go to school tomorrow with a short sleeve shirt. And I says, your second hour teacher is going to be the one that's going to report. Um, and so the second hour teacher saw the bruises on my daughter and called the police and the child protection and the child protection ended up helping my daughter move down to be with me. Right. And, um, you know, and so, um, parenting sometimes can be, you know, a quagmire and, uh, um, and as a result of the post-traumatic stress and the beating, um, and different things, my daughter has, you know, contracted some serious illnesses of her own. Um, and, uh, it's been a really difficult time and it could have all been prevented because, um, that school, that girl had an altercation with somebody in the first hour and the teacher thought she could handle it. And you, when you have an altercation, you're supposed to just go to the office and see if you just need a timeout or if you need to be sent home or if you need to be suspended. Well, the girl got in a fight in the first hour, the teacher handled it, quote unquote, second hour, the teacher handled it third hour the teacher handled it three different teachers could have reported this girl the girl could have got the attention that she needed you know the timeout, the redirection you know sent home you know because she's having a bad day whatever the hell the fourth hour was my daughter and uh, um it was crazy 
And uh, um, so I wish that they would have done something different. And uh, so, but it is what it is. And, you know, and now, you know, um, I talk with the girls all the time. My 21 year old, she's been living with me, you know, for a few years down here. Um, I just, uh, yesterday, um, she wanted to shave the back of her head, you know, into a triangle, you know, <laughs> and so, and uh, so she's got purple hair and she's got a shaved up triangle in the back of her head and she put it up in a ponytail and she went to uh, her rugby meeting last night and uh, uh, she's 21 years old and she plays rugby. And I'll tell you, if you ever want to see, you know, some, uh, burly incredible people go watch a woman's rugby game like holy crap (laughs) the way they hit each other is like you know i mean guys we've been used to running into each other bumping into each other tackling each other or pushing each other on the basketball or whatever checking them in hockey and we know when to kind of pull it back a little well, women don't seem to have have that. And so when they hit, they just smack the hell out of each other. It's always, you know, it's like you see those fearsome hits on the NFL, the 10 most fearsome hits. That's, that's rugby. There's no pads in rugby. So you got to be a certain amount of tough to, to do that. Oh, oh, God, yeah. 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 And, and that's something, you know, I mean, you know, um, it's, it's interesting, you know, um, my daughters have dated different guys and stuff like that. And there was one time I says, Hey, I says, Hey, can you do me a favor? And I says, go in the other room and get me a Phillips and uh, the channel locks. And, uh, the kid's like, your dad told me I'm supposed to get him a Phillips and a channel locks. What the hell is that? <laughs> and the boy had no idea, but my, my daughter is, you know, teaching him what, you know, the channel locks and what, what a Phillips screwdriver is. And that kind of stuff. And, you know, when I, when the girls were little, I would let them help me around the house. I did remodeling projects and they would help me out. I'd work on the car and they'd help me out. And, um, and so my daughters know how to do all that stuff. And uh, uh, one of her girlfriends had a flat tire and the girl didn't know how to change the tire. It's like, dad, we got the thing up and everything like that, but we still, you know, um, and uh, the, they had a lock um, on one of the lug nuts. And uh, so I, I said, well, where is that? So, but yeah, I mean, just, I think time is the most important being present with your kids, you know, is just the most important part. It doesn't matter what you do, just as long as you give them your time, your attention, you know, and your love and your respect, you know? So what do your daughters think about, um, like what you do as an energy healer? Well, the apples don't fall far from the tree. <laughs> so my uh, oldest daughter, um, so if you go to Curly and Photography and, or if you go to the chakras and do Curly and Photography, you can actually take pictures of the energy in the human body. So you'll, you know, when you're talking about the rainbow body, you will see an aura around people um, and, um, uh, and the chakras will show up. Well, my daughter could see those from a very early age. She could see chakras and uh, she could do healings uh, from a very early age. I was dating somebody when my daughter was uh, 10 years old. Uh, no, she was only eight years old. And, um, and she comes in and the, the woman had really, really severe cramps and I was going to work on her. And my daughter looks right at her crotch and she, she looks and I, I says, can you see that? Do you think you can make it go away? You know, and so for the audio people, it's like she just shook her head. 
And so uh, the woman I was dating, really, you're going to you're gonna have your daughter work on me? I said, well, you were supposed to be here 45 minutes ago. Right now, I got to feed the hungry girls. So you either let my daughter work on you or you wait until after dinner. And so they went in the living room and my daughter comes back at about 10 or 15 minutes later. And she goes, dad, you never told me the potty light was about babies. <laughs> and um, my, uh, my ex-girlfriend had had a miscarriage with her husband, uh, her ex-husband, um, three years previous. And so she, ever since she had the miscarriage, she would have cramps uh, with her period. And so my daughter in 10 or 15 minutes made it go away. And um, my other daughter um, could be a medium if she wanted to be. Um, and she's an animal communicator. She can actually talk with the animals. She can hear the animals. Um, and, but um, she's always been able to see dead people and hear them. And so, you know, people talk about indigo kids or crystal kids. Um, I think those things have always been around. Um, if you look at, you know, Benjamin Franklin, you know, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Mozart, um, Helen Keller. Helen Keller definitely was an indigo kid or a crystal kid. How on earth could somebody that can't see, can't hear, make up a language, you know? <laughs> and, you know, both sign language and braille. I mean, how the heck could somebody do that if they didn't have extra special gifts? But so my girls, you know, no, they have the, I have the abilities. Um, and um, from time to time, they'll ask me, it's like, you know, dad, can you work on this? Can you work on that? And, um, uh, you know, and so, but, um, our bodies are always trying to tell us stuff. Our, the pains that we have, the illnesses that we have are blisters. You know, they're basically letting you know that something's wrong. It's, they're kind of like warning lights on the dash. If you have a pain or an illness, your body's saying, hey, pay attention. And, you know, my youngest, the rugby player, uh, she's got some shoulder issues. Um, she actually, she's got a torn labrum. Um, and it's a ligament. And it's just like, people are like, how the hell did you tear that one? And so I look at her and I says, hey, sweetie, I says, you know what's going on? And she goes, yeah. And I says, so who are they? And because uh, um, she's got, you know, three people that are really weighing on her mom uh, or her mind. Her mom, uh, her mom's boyfriend, um, and uh, somebody else, and uh, she wants me to keep that private. Um, but you know, so that's who she's literally carrying on her shoulder. You know, we talk about carrying the burdens on our shoulder, sure. and so um, I said, "Sweetie, we can do things physically to help this, and we need to do things physically to get you strength back there." But meanwhile, you have to take these, you know, uh, ugly, horrible things and get them off your body. You got to get them off your mind, you know, in order to do that. So sometimes they'd rather take a pill than listen to dad because <laughs> dad's always going to tell them there's, you know, an underlying reason. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's very interesting because when I work um, and when I do the healings, afterwards i'm way out in left field you know i'm literally i'm in between here and heaven you know and um and so speaking logically just doesn't happen after a long day of healing or a long day of teaching um yeah. and so my daughters laugh at me they'll ask me questions you know and uh because um, especially after teaching um uh, because when I teach, I have a room full of 20, 22 people and I go around and I can read everybody and I can see how they're feeling the energy and what they need to change and all these different things. And so uh, to try and talk just straight English after that is 
pretty difficult. And so they enjoy making fun of me. <laughs> so Joe, I, I have to ask you now though. Can you look at me and give me one negative thing I have to improve on? Oh, one negative thing? Uh, well, okay, so, yeah. Well, let's, you know, so, I mean, first off, okay, it's really obvious that you're a lover, but you're a lover, but you really don't trust yourself so much, okay? Um, you love people and you've got some wounds that you still get to work through to, you know, take care of um, because it's kind of like you love like this, you know, you got, you know, um, you have one hand that wants to receive it, but you have another hand that's blocking, you know? Um, and so getting over those wounds is really important. And seriously, what it is, is, I mean, I, honestly, you got to take the shit out of your ears. Okay. And so what you've been fed a lot of shit, you know, and so I'm, I'm very, very careful with my language. There's no other way to say it than you've been fed a lot of bullcrap, you know, so you got to be the one to be able to say, Hey, hold on a second. This is who I am. You got to be able to look in the mirror and say, no, 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 this is who I am. And just look at you. And, you know, own your heart and soul. And it's something where I would really encourage you to even do some more things like physically, um, you know, to kind of like, um, because sometimes when we own our physical strength, our emotional strength is going to get better. And when we own our emotional strength and our physical strength, you know, because there's a part of you that's really scared, you're going to do something wrong or do something bad, and you're going to hurt somebody. And, you know, and um, you just got to let that go. I mean, the likelihood of you hurting somebody, I mean, you have a whole lot more likelihood of just being able right now to jump and go to the moon. I mean, you don't have it in you to hurt somebody, but you care. That's a fear of you. And it's like, you got to get rid of that. You got to get rid of that fear. And I would go in and, you know, seriously, you got to be able to own your strength a whole lot more because, I mean, it's literally, it's almost like you got to talk about, you know, five times more than you do. Um, because you got so much good stuff inside you, you have so much, you have so much that you can help other people. Um, and you, you hold yourself back, you do stuff, but kind of in small ways. And it's like, no, you're, you're a brilliant, wise, loving, you know, man. And it's one of those things where there's not a lot of that around, you know, uh, most men are like yourself, just too darn quiet. Um, but it's something where it's like, if you did speak, really what you know and you know and it's interesting because you, what you know in your heart this is like okay well okay your heart's down here but this is your third eye so trust your intuition man i mean you know trust your intuition and one of the things that i when i teach people about intuition is i tell them think about three things three things that whenever you think about them they always make you feel good you know um it can't be something like where you went on a great trip and it was absolutely fantastic but then you broke up after the trip it can't be that <laughs> you know it's got to be three things that whenever you think about them they're always good um i when i held my uh first daughter the very first time a particular scuba trip and then swimming in a lake in the swiss alps that was formed by the melting snow uh those are three things that whenever i think about them they always make me feel great um and you feel that vibe and then you ask, is it in my highest good to, is it in my highest good to go on this date? Is it in my highest good to take this job? Is it my highest good to, you know, uh, take the vaccination, whatever. You're going to be able to feel whether your body says, yes, if it keeps that strong, good vibe, well then go for it. But if it doesn't keep that strong, good vibe, your body's basically saying not for me right now, you know, whether, whatever it is. And so if you practice that, you'll be able to see, 
And so trust your intuition, really trust your intuition and trust your love for you. Um, and I would go and I would do some stuff physically, you know, um, because when you do stuff physically, you're going to feel a whole lot, you know, more connected to your whole self um, because your physical aspect is so separated from your emotional um, uh, self. And uh, that makes sense. All of this. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually do me, but we're gonna we're gonna hold off on that for now. We do it <laughs> <laughs> offline. I got uh, it. <laughs> but yeah, one thing uh, I want to I want to get across because you, you you put a powerful uh, message in here. Uh, I asked you to do this. Uh, I asked you to uh, basically you know put in a, a calendar request, and you answered a couple of questions. Uh, one of the questions, Joey, uh, was what does fatherhood mean to you? You gave a really, a really good answer, uh, and I'll read it uh, for the people. Uh, you said, being lucky to have two beautiful daughters that love me and being proud of the women they've become. Fatherhood is a gift that should be taken seriously. Our kids are individual souls. We get to steward and guide, but not control. Fatherhood is a backbone of our society, and if done well, society, society is great if done, uh, if done poorly, but not done at all, society fails. So, yes, that was a good one, man. Uh, can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, you know, you see it all the time when, you know, parenting, if, if, if you go in and control, control people, what ends up happening is, is they, they can't critical think. Um, I was teaching a, um, a class um, at the college level, and we'd have anywhere from freshmen to seniors in college. And these kids have been helicopter parented ever since they were little, you know, they were controlled, you know, they were sent to daycare, the parents did the, you know, um, you know, the play dates, um, all that kind of stuff. And so the control was there. And as a result, you got these kids graduating from college that don't even know what they want. You know, they, and they're empty, they're empty souls. Another aspect is if the parents aren't there and there's nobody to tell them, Hey, you can't do that. You know, uh, you shouldn't do that. Um, or it's better to do this. Or when somebody does something to you like this, you know, and so you can see it. Um, and, you know, uh, when the father's not there, you know, they talk about it and they talk about toxic masculinity and what they're really finding is, is that it's not toxic masculinity. What it is, is there is no masculine because most of the time it's, you know, a mother that's raising the kid. Most of the time it's mothers or women that are teaching. And so the kids never have a positive view of what being masculine it is. Um, they don't know what it means to, you know, the buck stops here, you know, because I'm taking responsibility for my actions. They don't know that they've never had to take responsibility, you know? And so, I mean, you go to the detention centers um, and, you know, there, there can be the absence of one parent or the other, but um, so often it's, you know, there's not a dad to say you matter. I mean, because if your kids don't know that they matter, if that they don't know they're important, they're going to be acting up the whole time. They're going to be doing stuff to get any kind of attention, you know, and that's why, you know, gangs are so freaking successful is because they pay attention. They pay attention and they give them community, you know, and all of the studies now that are coming out about, you know, um, addictions, there's no community. There's no sense of connection. And when you give us kid community and a sense of connection, um, they find value in themselves um, and they're able to have a good life. Um, and, you know, 
Um, I've seen it where, you know, I mean, hell, <laughs> I was controlled. <laughs> I was controlled so damn much. Uh, you know, the straight and narrow line that I walk, people think it's the yellow line or the white line. Fuck no, mine was a fishing string. You know, <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, if I wavered off of that, I'd get whooped, you know, so bad. I can't even tell you. Um, so I, w- I grew up thinking that I was not good. I was thinking I was incompetent. You know, I ended up going out and fixing houses and redoing houses and everything like that. And I was actually really damn good. I was really, really good at it. Um, and I didn't think there was anything special or good about me. And now I do this healing work and it's like, well, what would have happened if somebody would have seen inside me that I could see things in a different way, you know? Um, and like with my girls, when they started to see the lights, you know, the chakra lights, when they started to see people that, you know, passed away, I was able to basically say, yeah, I see you, I hear you, you know, and, uh, um, and we still get to say yes, we still get to say no. Um, But uh, that connection, you know, like I say, you know, when they were over at their mom's house, um, and their cat was dying, they called me, because I just let them sit on my lap and just be themselves, whether they wanted to talk or whether they wanted to cry. And if I would have been like their mom, you know, don't worry, you know, um, you know, it's, it's Sammy's going to a better place, you know, Sammy's going to be okay. And it's like, well, hold on a second. This is somebody that's dying and the girls have known this animal their whole life. We get to have the feelings and the emotions. Uh, so instead of controlling, I just let them be themselves and they could have their experience, you know. Well, Joe, I don't. <laughs> um, I know we went we went way over time, man. Um, but it, it's been a great interview, man. I, I appreciate like you coming on and, and uh, sharing. I'm sorry, sharing your story with us. Well, you're welcome, you know, and um, if seriously, if there's anything that I can do, if you think that I can come in and help, you know, if there's ever a class that you have with fathers or something like that, you know, because I can come in and I can say, because, you know, we basically, we teach and we parent to the strongest of our weaknesses. Okay, so whatever fear I have, whatever anger I have, whatever inability I have, doubt, whatever, we parent only to that level you know, and uh, to be able to do more, we have to know the crap that's in our way. And that's the part where I wish I knew, you know, my wounds more when I was actually in the process of parenting. So, you know, I'd come on, you know, talk for free to you guys, you know, uh, answer questions. And um, because, I mean, you know, we'll have to see Raheem, you know, uh, if any of the information I gave you, if it makes a difference, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, and here, uh, yeah. Um, um, yeah. My my purple haired daughter is coming in, so just told me I'm on any of you. One of the last questions we ask: um, If you had to give advice to to any father uh, right now, uh, what type of advice would you give to that dad? Wow, um, the first thing that I know would come out of my daughter's mouth is, "Don't give yourself such a hard time. Don't blame yourself so badly." <laughs> that's the first thing. That's the first thing that always comes out of this daughter's mouth. so um you know and and i think you know that's part of it because when i'm really really hard on myself and i'm seeing less of me um then unfortunately that's what my daughters see my daughters see the self-doubt they see the self-judgment so um 
we get to basically be whatever we're hoping our kids will be. Um, and so if I want them to be proud and happy and feel good about themselves, then I have to somehow do the same thing. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to do with the wounds that we've had and the mistakes that we make and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so be easier on yourself. Um, and there's a book that I absolutely fantastically love, and it's called Real Love by Greg Bear. That's B-A-E-R. Um, fantastic book. And he's got... Um, uh, one for parenting. And when I was reading it, um, I had to stop reading it because there were so many <laughs> ways that I had goofed. Um, but it really helps people see how they do things in order to get love, how they sell themselves out, uh, things like that. Um, and, um, and it tells people how they, you know, run away too early too, you know, or how they put up blocks. And I love the book. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Appreciate that, Joe. I, I I would say, uh, Dr. Neon, what, what do you say, man? Hall of Fame? Yeah, the most definitely. Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah, for sure. Take it up in the Raptors. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Man. Your jersey's in the Raptors, the WTF uh, <laughs> interviews. I, <laughs> this, has been, this has been amazing, Joe. You, you definitely have an amazing story. Uh, I, I guarantee it's going to make an impact. It's from someone just hearing this. So uh, thank you for sharing that and, uh, and having a, being open to sharing that as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. You know, and that, I mean, I look at it, everything that I went through, all those beatings, you know, um, and they were bad. You know, my dad was as big as me, you know, um, I'm, you know, uh, and all those beatings that I went through, I got to make something good out of them, you know? And uh, so if I can do this, you know, then I feel it was all worth it. And, you know, if people want to reach me, uh, my website's profoundlyliving.com. Uh, you know, they can email me at uh, profoundpowerjoe uh, at gmail. And uh, so, you know, like I say, if there's any way that I can help you in your program, I'm cool for it, man. Um, because, um, you know, it's, uh, um, oh, and one thing, you know, um, if, you know, if you're screwing up in parenting, it's like, okay, well, you know what, go back and blame the teacher that taught you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. there was no teacher. They teach you how to, you know, they teach you trigonometry and, you know, algebra, but they never teach you how to be a parent. You know, they never teach you how to communicate, you know, so uh, don't be hard on yourself. We, you know, it's not like we skipped out on those classes. There were no classes. Right. <laughs> so. Best teacher is your own experience. When yeah. it comes to the father parenthood. So yeah, right about that. All right, Dr. Young, did you have anything else before we wrap it up? Oh, no, I didn't have anything. Uh, just again, uh, thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Don't hang up, Joe. We're going to have a little powwow before we uh, actually hang up. But uh, okay. for myself, Sir Royce Bialis, for Dr. Raheem Young, and for Joe Petrowski, uh, thanks again for listening to WTF interviews and stay tuned for further announcements. Yes, yes. Thank you for listening to WTF Interviews. If you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us via our website, wtfatherhood.org. Uh, also, our Facebook page and our Facebook group will be listed in the description below as well. Uh, I ask you to leave a, a review as it helps more people receive the message. And uh, again, until next time, be well. You already are.